Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of Flightcast, the Infinite Flight Podcast. I'm your host Jason Rosewell and this is a show where we put on our pretend aviators, grab a juice box, slip into a Snuggie and chat about our favorite flight simulator, Infinite Flight. If you're a flying or flight sim enthusiast but you've never heard of Infinite Flight, head over to the App Store on your iOS device or Google Play for Android and search for Infinite Flight. Today we're going to continue our real-life pilot series with part three. My next guest is a first officer for a major U.S. airline. He's joining us today on layover in Montana, Jared Hodge. Jared, welcome and thanks for being here. Hey, thanks, Jason. It's definitely a pleasure and, if I may say, an honor to be here with you. I appreciate you having me on. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, Happy holidays. How's your Christmas been? Hey, thanks, and happy holidays to you, too. Yeah, my it went well. Um, holiday weekend, I actually had the days off. I uh, had Christmas Eve and Christmas off, and I was actually able to spend it with my family, so it was definitely a plus. Awesome. That's great. So uh, if we don't mind me diving right into one of my questions, uh, it has to do with the holidays. Um, mm-hmm. How does how do major holidays work with the airline that you work for? Does seniority play into it when you're able to get time off? Yeah, actually, uh, seniority is actually everything, is what we kind of say, because... Uh, the more senior you are, uh, the you're able to actually, we call it bidding or choosing uh, those days off. So uh, if you're if you want Christmas off and you're senior, you can actually hold it off. Usually, if you're junior, um, it's it's difficult to get those major holidays off. So seniority uh, okay. is is a big big factor in getting that day off. So you've heard me mention my friend who flies for Air Canada Rouge before. He he's yes. talked about bidding with me as well and. <clears throat> Actually, when I flew to Jamaica, he he bid on that flight and didn't get it. So, do you get to do you try to bid for certain locations as well, or how does that work? Yeah, that's that, that's a very good question. Um, yeah, so for me, bidding, I actually commute to uh, my base, and so the trips that I choose, um, it factors in uh, how long of the trip is. Is it a four day trip or a five day trip, and is it commutable? And what that means is I can actually fly up there uh, to my base that morning and be able to start the trip. It has a later sign in. So uh, I may sign in at four o'clock in the afternoon besides 6 a.m. in the morning and vice versa at the end of the trip. But uh, there are some particular some areas I like to go to, mostly West Coast. And so I'll try to choose a lot of West Coast trips. Okay, that's what I'd be doing, too. Yeah. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. yeah. So, and warm places during the winter too, if I may add that too. <laughs> yes, for sure. Can you can you give us uh, an approximate like a region that you're based out of or like how long yeah, is your commute? Yeah. Oh yeah, no, yeah. So I'm based in New York and um and I live in Atlanta, Georgia. So uh the flight from Atlanta to uh New York's approximately an hour and a half, maybe two hours, depending on uh headwind and tailwind. Uh so that's where I commute to, and I'm based, and that's where I'm based at, up in uh, New York. Okay, right on. Yeah. So yeah. you're our second airline pilot to visit Flightcast. Mm-hmm. Of course, we had uh, your fellow Airbus pilot Arnott yeah. with us on episode four, which was mm-hmm. I was just uh, you and I were talking before the episode started, and uh, I mentioned Arnott's episode is still uh, the one with the ho- highest number of listens. So, um, so are you saying we? I got to beat that? You're giving me a challenge here? Yeah, no pressure. <laughs> okay. No pressure. <laughs> we'll, we'll do our best. Um, so, but before we get into too many uh, pilot questions, um, mm-hmm. why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so um, 
as many if you don't know, my name's Jared, and uh, my hometown uh, where I grew up is actually uh, in Mobile, Alabama, home of, uh, I believe, a Skyhawk Heavy. Home of <laughs> Skyhawk of Heavy, yes. Yeah, yeah. So it's funny getting in touch with him. We had a lot in common. I think we knew a lot of people, the same same individuals. But, That's uh, awesome. Yeah, so I'm from Mobile, and um, I have always had a passion for aviation growing up. Uh, it kind of started with this movie that was made back in the 80s called Top Gun. I don't know if <laughs> anybody's familiar with it, but uh, yeah. I've heard of it. So that, there you go. So that kind of set the fire, brought my interest in. My I do owe a lot to my grandfather. He was an enthusiast. He wasn't a pilot. And uh, he every time we visited him, um, he would always talk about flying. Uh, my dad actually was in the military. He uh, worked uh, or he served in the United States Coast Guard. He was not a pilot either, but he had a lot of pilot friends. And so he would take my he would take me to air shows and we would also go to a there's a training base. Uh, the pilots do their training in the Coast Guard in Mobile. So he would take us there. We would get in helicopters, sit in the cockpit of a lot of the planes. And it was just constantly um, owe a lot to my parents and my grandfather for exposing me, if you will, to uh, aviation. So when it came to going to uh, college or university, I knew I wanted to fly, but I wasn't sure if I wanted to go military or if I wanted to fly commercial. And uh, luckily, one of my dad's friends, who's a pilot, he told me about this school that had an aviation program and you can get a degree in aviation. They teach you how to fly and it's just a regular school. And so, uh, when visited, fell in love with the program. And so that's where I learned to fly. It was at a, uh, Auburn University in, uh, in Alabama. And so they taught me how to fly, got all my ratings there. And uh, from there, it was just building my time. I was a flight instructor for a couple of years, uh, built my experience there, learned quite a bit about teaching itself and just communicating with other people. And uh, also <laughs> exposing them to this passion that I had called flying. Um, from there, uh, not to be too get too uh, detailed, but uh, I was in the right place at the right time. And someone asked if uh, I was interested in flying their uh, Cessna Citation form. And oh, wow. this, uh, yeah, so this company that this individual had, we had uh, six Citation 2s, Citation 2, yeah, private jet, flew that for about a year and a half and uh, built my time up uh, there. And got on with a, uh, a regional airline. So that's a, uh, it's a, uh, we flew uh, CRJ 200, 700s, uh, the Canadian regional jet, I'm sure yeah. many are familiar with. Mm-hmm. And did that for a while and uh, made it to where I'm at now. So uh, just progressed, build my time and kind of pay my dues, if you will, uh, to get to where I'm at. That sounds like a nice little um, kind of series of steps getting to your where you are now it's you've kind of sounds like you've done everything um did you start when you say you started and you got all your ratings in school does that mean you started with a a private license that's correct yeah so um my first year when i was a freshman uh our program was saturated if you will with a lot of students so i was put on a wait list and that wait list took through my entire freshman year so i had to go back to mobile and learn to fly or get my private pilot before I came back my second year oh, and okay. started. Yeah, so I uh, did my private pilot in Mobile in a 150. And uh, when I came back to school uh, the following year, that's when I started my instrument commercial and multi-engine rating training. 
Okay, got it. Yeah. Awesome. That yeah. Well, I think you're yeah. describing the path that a lot of us would love to take. <laughs> yeah, I would suggest it greatly, I, or uh, uh, probably stringently, because uh, going to an aviation college or a, it's called a, a you have different schools like you have a part 61 and the and a part 141 a part 141 school follows a strict syllabus that the faa approves so and usually the a part 141 flight school their syllabus teaches you how it's kind of like a if you will airline training like you're following a syllabus there's ways that they teach you to fly and you have to go through different stages to get to where you want to be. And I personally, and this is only just for me, I mean, I would suggest anyone <clears throat> who's wanting to learn to fly to go to a, maybe a part 141 school or like an aviation academy, because I, I believe it, it structures your flight training out well, and you know what's coming up ahead. Do you, do you think there's something to be said for um, experience, having more experience one way or the other? Like, it sounds like mm -hmm. getting getting a job with an airline these days can be actually go by fairly quickly. Um, like, it sounds like airlines are hiring people and then sending them to get their training and then coming back and then you're flying jets. So I always thought, you know, I, you, everyone gets in an airplane, they like to see some gray hair with the uh, when they see the captain. Correct. That's That kind of just says, oh, that guy's got lots of experience or that, that lady's got lots of experience. Uh, that just seems to be more comfortable for me when I'm getting on an airplane, um, as opposed to seeing, you know, some t two people who are quite young <laughs> in the cockpit. So do you have a comment on that at all? Yeah, actually, um, I think I could attest that because, uh, yeah, when I was flying that uh, for a regional airline, I would always get looks <laughs> right. from people. I mean, I'll admit people thought I was an 18 year old when I'm flying this jet with 70 plus people in the back and um it, and that's becoming common more common if you will um i don't think that necessarily just the way the individual looks that equals their experience um you know i believe that the training that that person gets is uh is very important especially the training that they get with the airline that they're flying but I can reassure you that the majority of airlines, because the FAA has been so hard on airline training and uh, have been actually looking at the the training that's being given to pilots, that the airlines, you can feel comfortable with when you're getting on an airline that the crew is, is a well, excuse me, is a well-trained crew. Okay. And especially the airline that you fly for. <laughs> yes. Which, yes. Uh, you know, we, and, 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 and if I may add too, sure. because my airline, you know, you, you, you hear about, um, if you fly on a regional airline or a commuter airline, if you will, that flies for a major airline, there's a lot of, um, how do I say, there, there's a lot of criteria that a major airline puts on other airlines, even co-chairs, if they want to be able to be a part of either flying for that airline or being a co-chair for the airline. So they just don't choose anybody. And if they, if the airline that, like for instance, uh, uh, an airline that wants a co-chair for the <laughs> for the airline that I fly for, if there's some issues with training or some issues that our airline sees, they'll 
make recommendations to change it before they even fly for us. Can you explain so, co-chair? Is that like a Star Alliance or something? Exactly. Okay. So, uh, yeah, so like uh, Star Alliance, uh, Sky Team, um, I know there's uh, many world. others. One World, exactly. So they just don't choose anyone. Right. Um, okay. There's some there's some criteria that have to be met for you to be a part of that group. So okay. hopefully that'll give everyone else another reassurance that you, you're in good hands. They're, they're just not letting anyone up there. Right. Okay. Well, yeah. as we did with our note, we're going to keep your airline a secret if people can't tell by now. Um, but like I asked him, what, what is a typical day in your life as a pilot look like? And, you know, if you want to leave out any airline specific details, please feel free to do that. Very good. Yeah. So let's, I'll, I'll put in difference for, instance, uh, the first day I actually check in for a flight compared to I'm already on the rotation and okay. actually flying. So for instance, like, uh, when I started the trip that I'm coming on, that I'm currently on, uh, weather played a factor with me getting into, <laughs> into, uh, New York because, uh, there was a little bit of, uh, convective activity, also thunderstorms and they were having some weather. So I actually had to pre-plan ahead and get on an earlier flight. So my sign-in was at uh, 8 o'clock at night. So I actually had to fly in a little earlier uh, to be able to make my flight. The one thing that a commuting pilot does not want to have happen is he or she is trying to fly to their base and they can't get up there because of weather. Right. It, draw, it draws a big disruption in the operation and it's, very, and it's frowned upon. In that case, uh, a pilot is what we call rerouted. So another pilot who's flying a flight would get taken off that flight and put on, say, my flight to come to where I'm at now. And that and then it just it's a rolling effect because then they have to find someone that they took off that flight to replace it. And so a, another option that the airline would have is to uh, utilize what we call a reserve pilot. So there's usually a group of pilots uh, that the airline has that they can call. And uh, they would have to come to the airport and cover that flight that a commuting pilot would that missed. Okay, or so the, that didn't make their flight. Those would be pilots that live in that city, presumably. Yes, they would be either at the airport or they live in the city. So okay. uh, usually it's a yeah. So they would have to show up a short notice. Okay, if that makes sense. Would you yeah. be a reserve pilot in Atlanta where you live? I would be close okay. to being a reserve pilot. So. Uh, yeah, so that's one reason why I, uh, my base is in New York, because I'm actually a, a fairly senior pilot in New York, believe it or not. Okay, so you've, okay, so you've planned ahead, you've, got your, uh, you've made it to your airport, and then what? Yeah, so from there, it's a matter of just preparing for the flight, that you, the flight or flights that you're going to be, uh, be doing. So uh, if you're going into an airport, we call this like a special airport. If it's in a mountainous area or there's just some special procedures that you have to abide by or maybe an airport that you haven't flown into uh, regularly, usually I just look over the approach charts and the approach plates and all the procedures that are going to be required to go into that uh, airport. Uh, usually our report times are an hour before the actual flight. So sometimes you'll meet with the or I'll meet with the other uh, captain and we'll just go over a few uh, things, i.e., the route, weather, um, any other maybe security concerns that, uh, that might uh, be involved with the flight. But for the most part, usually we do our briefings inside the flight deck uh, when we show up to the airplane. And uh, so because uh, if many who listen to the podcast like to Aeronauts uh, podcasts, 
sometimes for international flights, you meet well ahead, maybe an hour and a half or so before the flight in a flight planning room. But for domestic that I usually fly, we usually do all our briefings in the flight deck. Okay. Um, yeah, so everything's being prepped. Um, usually the uh, cabin crew would uh, come into the airplane while the captain and myself are doing the brief. And they have their own little briefings, their own briefings going on. But uh, and that's how it is usually for when we're just when I'm just getting ready to start a flight. Uh, now, around to where if when I'm actually on a rotation, for instance, like today, usually if you're laying over in a hotel for a while, sometimes it varies if you have. You could have little as 11 hours at the uh, city you're staying in to as great as. 50 hours you could stay somewhere for two days and you know when you're there for more than i'll say maybe more than 16 hours at the actual city you have time to actually maybe go out and venture and uh, see what uh is around but there are times where you don't you just don't have the time to do that and you find yourself just getting a good night's rest before your next flight the following day right okay yeah Okay, so then you're you're uh, you're off on your on your voyage, and then um, what in the flight deck? Um, I mean, we learned a lot from Arnott, obviously, on what goes on in the flight deck. You're always planning um, for emergency situations and um, you know things that are unexpected. Um, do you find that you, when you're flying, is there any downtime at all? There is down. Yeah, you do find yourself depending again on the distance and the time avail your flight time uh, for domestic flights i mean the longest that i probably find myself doing is maybe four and a half five hours max maybe going east coast to west coast but uh a lot of the other flights that i'm doing they're not more than two hours okay so in that span you're uh when you're at your cruise you may be in cruise for maybe an hour but uh you're monitoring your fuel while you're along the way and uh, again, also uh, making sure all of your uh, the parameters for the for the plane are 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 normal. And um, there are a few checks that we do in crews, making sure that everything is working correctly on on the way. But downtime, it's a it's a little bit. It, it, it's a little, but okay. not not a lot. Okay. All right. Well, um, let's get around to talking about infinite flight since that's what we're Very here good. to do somewhat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so why don't you tell us how did you get started playing and, um, you know, the burning question for, I think, all uh, aviation professionals, whether it's air traffic controllers or pilots, is what, what makes playing, uh, you know, using a flight sim, some people call it a game, some people call it a sim. It is a, a sim, obviously. Um, right. Why do that when you get to fly the real thing every day? Yeah, and that's a that's a, another very good question. So, um, just going back, I got started. Oh man, playing. I don't even say playing, but you using a flight simulator. Man, when I was maybe fourteen years old, and the, my my dad bought myself a, or bought me a computer, an old compact computer, and it had Microsoft five Microsoft Flight Simulator five point one on it. Nice. And uh, I thought it was the most awesome amazing thing uh to use of course the graphics back then can't compare to what is what's available now but i played that thing as often as i could and yeah there were sometimes i would fly from i don't know new york to (laughs) 
to like Frankfurt real time and just sit there and just watch the plane <laughs> slowly get there. And it's funny, I see some comments on forums where uh, other flight, simulator, fl- flight simmers are doing that. I'm like, wow, that was definitely me when I was <laughs> younger. Yeah. Of course, I couldn't do that now. There's no way I'd be able to do it. But it, it started from there. And I was always into flight simming. And um, there was a point where you could actually do the multiplayer but it was such a big lag that the planes were just kind of ticking on your screen that you were trying to fly with. And it was just neat to be able to see someone else on your screen. But uh, I'll be honest, when I started flying uh, for an airline, I kind of got away from flight, sim- flight simming. Um, because if I came home from a trip, the last thing I wanted to do was sit at my computer and kind of just watch. Yeah trying to stay awake yeah. flying from one place to another and that's the that's the the uh, the assumption that i think a lot of people would make too that's true right you're definitely right and uh when i with this with with my iphone and my ipad or whatnot i one of my buddies was telling me about uh some of the flight simulator apps that are available so i was like well let me ch- check a few of these out so there were some others that i was uh u- using and just I just wasn't excited about it. I don't know, maybe just the 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 whole application and how it ran, I wasn't happy with it. But uh, a buddy of mine who's actually a pilot at the airline I'm at, he was like, hey, man, you have to check out this app called Infinite Flight. And uh, it's a really neat game, and the graphics are great on it, and the planes fly. It's it's a really good application. So I decided to take a look at it. And for some, man, when I first used it, I got hooked. <laughs> and... It was just convenient, one, of being able to use it on my phone at the time until I put it on my iPad. But uh, it's, it's, it's convenient and it's simple. A person with zero flight time can actually get on, this, uh, get on this simulation and fly a plane and actually learn a few things from it. But now with the community being involved, you can get more information from others who just have their private pilot to someone who has their airline transport pilot and utilize maybe some of their uh, use some use some of their techniques or advice to how to make it a little more realistic, if you will. Mm-hmm. But um, it, it's nice. The one other the one thing I did want to mention was how Infinite Flight uses maps and just the regions and not the full globe or the world, if you will. So you have the region of San Francisco or Southern California, that's the region of, of, of uh, London, England, and uh, Australia. The places you, you can fly to doesn't take more than an hour, if that. Mm-hmm. I mean, minutes to be able to go from one area to another. And so that's what really kind of has drawn me into using infinite flight and now with the eight with the air traffic control i mean that just took off <laughs> and really set the score for me wanting to u- use it more and um, it's really neat the last is the uh, multiplayer function and how smooth the aircrafts are or the planes are actually flying with you and uh it's it's it's, it's a fantastic application i'm i'm, I'm more than amazed with how the developers came up with it and all the improvements that they're making on it. Nice, cool. Well, um, let's uh, let's find out what kind of airplane you're flying right now. Yeah, so I'm actually an Airbus uh, A319, 320, and 321 pilot. So uh, once you've once you've learned on one, is it it's is it all 
transferable to yeah. the others? It sure is. Okay. It sure is. Yeah. So, um, so it's one common type. What 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 do you have to know if you've you've just flown the three nineteen and then your next flight, let's say, I don't know if this happens, but let's say the next flight is on the three twenty one. There's a difference in size there and and all of that. Is it? Do you change anything? Do you have to know anything different between one between the other? Yeah, there are a few differences, um, as we call it, between all of the uh, the fleet or the aircraft excuse me so there's just just very little ones uh for instance like uh a 321 when you are taking off and uh, when you're actually pitching the nose up we call it rotating mm -hmm. and so when you rotate you, you you're more cautious of the tail and you want to avoid <laughs> a tail strike right of course you can't yeah so that so compared so to the 319, you really don't have that uh, problem, if you will, or have to think about. There's some other little things that you can't, you cannot simulate it on infinite flight. But uh, let's see, on the 320, uh, you're limited to the number of when you use your flight spoilers in flight. You're only limited to so many degrees in the spoilers. However, when you fly 319, you actually have more of uh more spoilers available when you use it with the autopilot on oh, okay um yeah flap speeds are different right from uh from the different ones so we have placards just little notes on the on the uh, glare shield or excuse me the panel and it'll tell you what the speeds are of course you should know them as being a pilot but just to kind of back you up they have them right there in front of you and you can take a look at it okay uh but uh, but besides that, the flight deck looks the same. Okay, um, so now you're really you're flying nice. Infinite Flight, and for the uh, the la the big big news recently was the was this airplane being launched on in the sim. So, um, how have you found the flight physics, and in terms of um, compared to other airplanes that you've flown in the sim? Yeah, and so. Uh, um, uh, let me just say that developers that created the airplane did a fantastic job. It's uh, I, I really am pleased with how the airplane flies. I was actually a little concerned with how much thrust you would need on the jet to maintain a, a glide slope. Because on some of the airplanes I've flown or that I fly on infinite flight, I notice you really need a lot of power to keep the airplane yes. on a glide slope. Yes. <laughs> but this one, they got it right. I mean, they got it right. I mean, there's sometimes you don't have a lot of thrust um, on the when you're flying the glide slope. I mean, the, the the wing on the real airplane, the wing is so well designed that it's a slick wing. It's sometimes hard to slow down the airplane, and I find it on infant flight that's the same. It's the same way. So, I'm I'm really pleased with that. Um, but just the handling of the plane, yeah, they did a really good job on it, and it it flies. <laughs> pretty close <laughs> to how it is in a real plane. It, it, there's a lot of differences, of course, when you're flying the real plane itself, because it's, I'm sure you're aware it's a fly-by-wire airplane. Right. So you don't really get a lot of feel for it. So, um, but just plain and simple. Yeah. The plane, I've been really happy with how the plane flies in infinite flight. Awesome. So you mentioned, um, the you know the slick wing design on the 320 and mm -hmm. um let's just say for argument's sake we when we say 320 we mean the whole family um yes. and and i've i've noticed and i've had uh 
pilot friends of mine uh, mentioned that when you're using spoilers, sometimes it can be uncomfortable for the for the passengers and it can be a little noisy. So, do you find that you've that you've got to use um, you try not to use your spoilers in flight and your air, uh, your speed brakes? Yeah, actually, you have to use the speed brakes. You have to use them to be able to slow the airplane down. It's just, uh, or the airplane, or, or you just find yourself uh, having difficulty either maintaining a speed that maybe air traffic control will give you, or the plane just won't slow down. Okay. Um, but yeah, it does get a little noisy, but I don't want people listening to think that it's so noisy that it draws a concern. It's more of a little bit of a rumbling, yep. if you will, kind of. But um, on this airplane, you just you just have to use them. Sometimes, believe it or not, you have to actually just put the gear down to get the, the plane slowed. And you may be at 10,000 feet trying to get lower. And, and you're the dumping the gear. Get, you're dumping the gear <laughs> because this, the, 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 the flap speeds are pretty low. Okay. And on, on other airplanes that I, that I have flown, you can actually use your flaps at a higher airspeed. Okay, so that would be called uh, overspeeding the flaps, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. So that's one thing you really want. You don't want to happen. <laughs> don't want to have happen. Well, you so, don't like uh, having your flaps ripped off mid-flight? Uh, <laughs> well, that and then uh, on the Airbus, if anything is oversped or you have any type of anomaly, the airplane sends the information to maintenance control. Uh, <laughs> so everyone knows that you overspend the flaps and then there's a uh, an inspection they're, process. They're waiting for you on the ground. <laughs> and the one thing that's embarrassing is when you're coming to an airport and you're giving the airplane to another crew <laughs> who's taking that airplane out and you have to, and they're just sitting there looking at you saying what happened. <laughs> Cause they already know. <laughs> they already know. they already know. And you're like, Oh, now we're going to be delayed because of you. <laughs> That's kind of embarrassing. But, uh, but you know, it, it hasn't happened to me yet, but I've heard it happen to other people, <laughs> man. So, yeah. So you've got a, uh, you've got your, your, cheat sheet in front of you but you should really be uh understanding all of those things before you before you take flight i would think yeah that's that that's correct yeah cool. that that is correct mm -hmm. all right so uh keeping with our infinite flight questions um are there any real life procedures or rules that infinite flight pilots can use to make their experience more realistic and successful i asked this question to Arnott as well. And, uh, you know, I think we talked about charts a little bit and we've talked in a few episodes about using, using approach plates and things like that. But any, any thoughts from you? Yeah, it, it is, it's, it's great. I'm glad you said that because I, I know he said that I, I didn't want to repeat what he was saying, but if you want to, I mean, uh, I, I've seen it on the forums of doing a, uh, reduced thrust takeoff, what we call, we call it my air, we call it a flex takeoff. So, in the airlines, in pretty much all in commercial, I mean, uh, in corporate aviation or anyone that flies jets, you don't take off at 100% right. um, of, of thrust. And so I would suggest sometimes when I'm controlling, I can hear the engines. I can tell people are doing a full thrust takeoff. But, yeah, when you take off, maybe use, not maybe, but use 95% power. And uh, after you take off, you can actually uh, – do what's called an accelerated um, uh, altitude 
when you begin to accelerate to 250 knots or whatever speed you want to do for those who just want to fly maybe a standard profile so one way to do that is get the field elevation for the airport that you're flying out of whatever that field let's just say it's 100 feet so add a a thousand feet to it so that's 1100 feet so after you take off we don't our pitch is only maybe 15 to 18 degrees nose up so after you, while you're holding that 18 degrees at 1,100 feet, lower the nose to maybe 11 degrees and let the airspeed build up and bring the power back again to close to maybe 92%. And you kind of, it's pretty neat. If you're an enthusiast, you would know what I'm talking about. You may, even when you're flying, you'll hear the engines kind of wind down a little bit mm-hmm. after takeoff. Yep. And so that what that is, is the aircraft is reaching what we call an acceleration height and they're lowering the nose, bringing the power back a little bit more and accelerating to whatever speed they need to. And what that does in the real world, it'll, it, it, it saves engine life and prevents a lot of damage to, to, to the engine itself. So that's something that if I would suggest if you want to make it more realistic is, is to do that. Okay. Um, I've actually noticed too that um, where it seems to me that at some point during a departure – or a climb out uh, when I'm on a commercial flight that it, you might level off at 2,000 or 3,000 or 5,000 feet and just fly there for a while. Is that an air traffic control issue? That is an air traffic control issue. Okay. Yeah. Um, sometimes, uh, and I try to portray that when I'm controlling too, is because you have planes coming into the airport and planes leaving. Sometimes when you take off, you have to level off because there's an airplane above you going into the airport right and so um that that's more of an air traffic control reason okay yeah something that i've wondered too though is that if you level off say you've already retracted your flaps and you're leveling off at five thousand feet you still aren't able to go faster than 250 knots because you're below ten thousand, right that's correct Mm -hmm. so since you're going so slow relative to you know what you'd be doing at cruise don't you have to still have the nose pitched up a little bit to maintain altitude at that speed? Yes. Since you don't have yeah, any that flaps? Is, that's correct. Because, uh, yeah, because you're not going as fast. Um, I try, and one other thing is, like, I try to make things a little more simple. I don't want to get too much into the whole um, <laughs> science of aerodynamics <laughs> and then just lose a few people. That's for but, another episode. Uh, that's for another episode. I'm just trying to keep it simple <laughs> yeah, here, but sure. you're, 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 you're totally right. Yeah. Um, flaps produce lift. And so you're actually decreasing a little bit of the lift and to counteract that, to make it simple. Yeah. You have to add a little bit of back pressure. Okay. Um, or put the nose up a little bit more to maintain that lift for a steady flight. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. But, um, one, one thing, if I can add this yeah. one too, because I think it will really help everyone in infinite flight community is um, flying air speeds that are a little more realistic because I noticed one thing that infinite flight doesn't have is what's called a barber pole or uh, a max speed and speeds I've noticed um, that I've seen or some people are kind of in a in an A320 going close to 600 knots right <laughs> which is not realistic at all but uh, some of the speeds like we really don't cruise like uh, at lower altitudes. It's really not more than 300 to 320 knots. 
And at higher altitudes, when you get into your Mach numbers, it's usually between 0.74 and 0.78. And what that does also is it helps the controllers out sequencing planes in, but uh, it'll also help the pilot out to be able to plan a uh, descent uh, point uh, more effectively too. So that's another thing I would just throw out there too. Okay, nice. I have so many yeah. questions I want to ask you as you're talking, but we're gonna. I want to try and keep this episode to a reasonable length, so we'll oh, we'll yeah. uh, we'll save some of those un until next time. But um, so speaking of the A320, I just want to toss a little little tiny little contest out to everybody listening, and I'm gonna play a A320 sound that. Um, is specific to Airbus, and uh, we'll see if you guys can guess it. So here it is, and take a listen. The first person to, um, let's say, the first person to comment on the uh, Facebook post for this episode on the Flightcast page uh, will win something, probably just a high five. But uh, here it is. Alright, so there it is, and uh, like I said, if you know what it is, go ahead and um, comment on the um, Facebook post on the Flightcast page for this episode. <laughs> Alright, so, um, let's take a few Facebook questions, speaking of Facebook, if you don't mind, Jared. No, we're, no problem, yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, so, um, Emil asks, and I apologize if I don't get some of these names right in the pronunciation, but... Uh, Emil asks, have you ever experienced a serious incident while you've been in the air? Yes. Ooh. And I'll keep it simple okay. and short. So uh, it was Christmas Day a couple of years ago. Um, I, it was my old airplane that I flew. Uh, it wasn't on the Airbus. Anyhow, we departed from Baltimore, and I began to hear a crackling sound. I was like, this does not sound right. And when I turned around and looked in the circuit breaker panel uh we ended up having a it was one of the panels were on fire behind the panel and i could see these little flames shooting out from the panel so i told the captain i was like uh sir i think we're on fire <laughs> just what every and, captain uh, wants to hear <laughs> just what he wants to hear he's, and he looked at me because we we didn't get any warnings and sure enough um the flame went out in our cockpit filled with smoke so it's it's funny how training mode went in uh, instantly. So we put on our oxygen masks and he told me, get us back to Baltimore as soon as possible while he ran the checklist and talked to the passengers in the back. Okay, so you're so, flying uh, at this point? So I'm flying the okay. airplane. So I pretty much tell the uh, air traffic controller, uh, my call sign and emergency aircraft, we have smoke in the flight deck, need to land immediately. And I'll never forget the controller's voice, she said, uh, turn heading uh, 120, clear to land any runway that you want. <laughs> <laughs> any airport, no. any runway. <laughs> Anywhere that you want. She was like, you're clear to land, any runway. And uh, after I turned the plane around, um, we were quite high. And uh, I literally had to get the airplane down. And so at this point, I'm just telling myself, you know, fly the airplane, fly the airplane, just fly the airplane. Right. Because that's where still a lot of people make mistakes is not flying the airplane. We got on the ground. Uh, the smoke began to dissipate after we landed. And uh, the other thing I remember is right, I brought the plane to a stop and the captain, we made our PA announcement, but the fire crash and rescue was sitting right there at the, at the flight deck window, just ready to start spraying us down <laughs> if it needed to. But uh, 
the fire put itself out and uh, we went back to the gate. They did a, a something had happened with the electrical system and it was an electrical fire. But, uh, so it wasn't it wasn't uh, affecting any of your instruments or controls. Um, we had a few of the controls go or the, excuse me, the instruments fail. Um, they were like uh, non-essential instruments, but the primary flight display and everything else began was, was still working. But the circuit breaker itself that had fried it did what it was supposed to it took itself offline okay and the fire put itself out but we didn't lose too many okay so but, uh, that was just one of them. with a glass cockpit how are you uh, what do you do if those instruments so say that say the the circuit breaker mm -hmm. for those uh for those displays yes. you know blew up Blew up. um mm -hmm. are there are there is there backup power for those or just in a in a scenario where those just go black yeah. what happens yes yeah. uh yeah, you do have backup power. Um, the the instruments itself they usually run off of one of the engine generators. Okay. But um, the the power coming from that. But yeah, let's just say that they stopped working. Yeah, you do have a backup system where you can either bring the displays back up, or you can just use the old school uh, steam gauge <laughs> standby uh, instrument. That's not glass. It's just like what you have in your 172. Where's that? Uh, we have, yeah. So we have that in the airplane too. Oh, okay. Believe it or okay. not. Yeah. Yeah. So it sits in the middle of the uh, control panel, just waiting and, uh, to you save just your look bacon. At that. Just waiting to save the bacon. That's well said. <laughs> yeah, <nice. laughs> All right. But, uh, cool. We were lucky. Yeah. Uh, so that's just one of some of the other some one of the other incidents that I've had. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll leave it at one for now, and uh, we'll maybe yeah, there get we to hear about another one later. Yeah. So Liam's wondering. Um, well, I, I don't know. This is a personal question. You don't answer it if you don't want to. Does being a commercial pilot pay well for the work that you're doing? Do you figure? Yeah, it's a, it's a great job. I love my job. It uh, it allows my family to uh, it allows me to provide for my family. Um, I that's one reason why I wanted to be an airline pilot. Um, you it does it does pay very well. I would be lying if I said it didn't. Plus, um, if your boss is just, listening, you don't yeah. want to say the wrong thing. <laughs> no, I don't want to say wrong things, but it's just as the longer you stay at an airline, the more you have the ability to make uh, a better income. So just in the beginning of the year, year, the airline's more just looking at you to make sure you're on probation is what we call it. And so your first year pay is usually low, but when you make it past your probation year, the uh, pay increases. So um, to answer your question, yeah, it, it does very well. It pays very well. Okay. So, um, again, I apologize if this pronunciation is wrong, but um, Hamza wants to know, what is your favorite airport to land at? And I guess we could say, you know, what, what's your favorite hub to fly into for whatever reason? Oh, okay. So, um, I would have to actually, I mean, I, I, I'm going to say New York. Because <laughs> oh, that I means mean, going, you're going home then. Well, yeah, but no, it's it's flying in and out of New York is it's 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 fun. Um, it's a lot going on. It's challenging, especially when you're doing the. Uh, I would suggest everyone look up the expressway visual to runway three one. Oh yeah, I've definitely seen that in, on YouTube. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and so um, that's a, a fun approach to fly, and you 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 fly it visually. Um, even leaving out of New York. Um, how the procedure that they have you uh, fly, it's its really neat how they have that whole airspace set up. Um, but that's what I'm going to stick with, right? It's between that, DCA is, is fairly 
challenging, but uh, I'm just going to, uh, or Washington, D.C., but I'm going to stick with There's a, a river visual approach in D.C., isn't there? Yeah, there's there's the, the river visual to a runway 19, and that's very challenging itself, too. That's awesome, because but, you're, uh, you're turning final very late. You are. Well, you're avoiding the a lot of uh, important... <laughs> government buildings that they you're not allowed to fly over right one being the the president's house the president of the united states <laughs> but uh yeah, you don't you want are, to, you're kind of you don't want to miss your approach into the white house that's for sure no you don't want to do that, <laughs> not at all so but that's another challenge especially when you have a high crosswind when the wind is actually trying to blow not blow but trying to move you into the direction you don't want to go right um it can be very challenging but uh but yeah to answer the question again i'm going to just stick with new york because of the three airports and uh, you have to be on your toes going in, into there. Okay. So uh, before I ask this next question from Mark, um, it, oh, great. Uh, this, well, no, it's, don't worry. It's a legitimate question. Okay. <laughs> we won't have to bleep anything out. <laughs> okay. What, so, so his question assumes that you had to move from a, a yoke to a side stick. So uh, were you flying a Boeing before this? I was yes. Okay, and you you've mentioned you know uh, flying almost everything under the sun from uh, yeah. you know learning on the one hundred and fifty up to the um, citation at, at some point, and I'm sure right. there's been a bunch in between there. Um, yeah. So most of those you're on a you're on a yoke. So his question is, how different uh, and or difficult was it transitioning from a yoke to a side stick? And it it, it was not very it was not difficult. I thought it would be. Uh, my instructor, when I went on the Airbus, told us, "Give me five to ten minutes, and you'll be just fine." And it's uh, just a, you, it's a lot of uh, how they explain it. it's like wrist movements, and you fly the airplane with your fingertips. Mm. Um, it's very, very responsive. So um, using the side stick, I, I like it now. Uh, it comes second nature, if you will. So with, fly, so with it, flying by wire, does does that like if you're encountering a really strong crosswind? Obviously, you're you're using some rudder there, but are you feeling any resistance on the on the joystick? No, no. Okay. And and, and J, uh, Jason, I'm just going to say it because in the Airbus community, <laughs> it's a side stick. Oh, what did I say? I said joystick, <laughs> didn't I? Yeah. Oh, I might have to. I, said I might have to beat that in out. Training. You know, the reason I laugh at it is because I said joystick in training one time. And I still don't hear the last of it. So, <laughs> okay, <laughs> but no, but yeah, you don't, you don't get any response. And that was the one thing I had to get used to. That was a little, I wouldn't say difficult, but you just had to wrap your head around that. <laughs> the computer is controlling a lot of the ailerons and the control surfaces and you don't know it, ah. but you have to, yeah. So sometimes it, it, the plane may feel like it's unstable and they've taught us to sometimes be like, just let go of the side stick a, a, a few seconds and the plane will come back. The computers will get it back to being stable. Wow. That's gotta be a trip. It was. Oh, when at first, but it's, it's, it's such in real life that was in a simulator, but in real life, it's just, uh, it's amazing. It's like, wow, this plane is so stable and just, it just takes little fingertip flying to fly on a strong crosswind. But, uh, Man, so, it does everything. Uh, so many questions I want to ask, but uh, again, in the interest of time, yeah. I won't. What I what I'd like to do, maybe Jared, is have maybe you and Arnold, and um, maybe a couple of the other uh, regular guys that I have on, so we can just like chat. I think that would be 
beneficial, not only for, I think it'd be beneficial for all of us talking and uh, everyone in the community too, just to. Yeah. Throw it open to, to lots to more Facebook it. questions and just talk. Yeah. Just asking questions. Yeah. yeah. Cause you're asking some great questions. So everyone else, and like you said, I wish I could get, get yeah, to all of yeah, them. Yeah. They're really good questions. Cool. Okay. So those are our Facebook questions. And, and since we're done those, I'm just going to uh, throw, over, throw it over to Cam for a message about Life Flight Up. We'll be right back in a second. Hey Cam, you know what would be great? What's that Jason? If there was an app I could use along with Infinite Flight. You know, something I could use to track and share my flights, or check out where the action is before starting some ATC work. Well, you know, I actually happen to create something that does all of that. Really? Really. Head over to lifelightapp.com where you can track flights in Infinite Flight live in real time, view stats about your flight, and learn more about pilots and controllers around you. Cam, I have a confession to make. I knew all of that. I was just testing you. <laughs> well, anytime you'd like me to come by for another test, just let me know. Thanks, Cam. In the meantime, everybody, why don't you head over to liveflightapp.com for your next flight. Now back to the podcast. All right. Thanks, Cam. Um, so as we approach the end of the interview here, Jared, uh, I just want to ask one of my favorite questions that I have for all of my guests, and that is, what would you love to see next for Infinite Flight? Yeah. Um, so I had mentioned earlier in the podcast, I would like if possibly the developers could include the max speed of Barber Pole or a VMO or MMO on all the planes. So I think it would help out quite a bit. Um, maybe. So when you see, if I can just interject, if you when you say Barber Pole, I'm assuming that it is something, it relates to something visual that you're seeing? Yeah, so it, it looks like a looks like a checkerboard that uh, it... Uh, comes into view when the plane is beginning to go too fast. Ah, okay. And so when you use your flaps, that barber pole will actually show also so you won't exceed your flap speed. Ah, okay. Nice. So, cause you could be going, you could go 300 knots on infinite flight and put your flaps down and nothing happened. Right. Yes. So I would, I <laughs> well, think the, the nose might pitch up a little well, bit. The no, yeah. Well, when I say nothing, right. Correct. Correct. Yeah. The nose, yeah, yeah, you're not going to break the airplane. That's right. It's not going to, that's correct. Um, I, that would be great if they were able to put something in them like that. Um, some of the voice commands, uh, from ATC to the pilot or vice versa, um, clearing a pilot for the visual approach besides yes. maybe getting vectors. Um, yeah. and, or a straight in approach maybe for the, uh, for the approach controllers. For the approach, correct. Yeah, so maybe when a pilot checks on, you're able to, hey, expect vectors for the visual approach to runway one zero left. And so you just vector them close to it and say, hey, do you have the airport in sight? You're clear for the visual approach. You fly it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so awesome. Thought, okay. Yeah, I think that would. And then uh, last, the airspace configuration. Um, I know, I understand they're under a lot of time crunch or whatnot trying to develop, but I've noticed some of the airspaces aren't. Uh, correct. And I would like to maybe see maybe some airspace, uh, co the configuration of the airspace is developed to, uh, to help out air traffic controllers and also people flying into the airspace and out of it. Okay. Can you expand on that a little bit? Like, can you give me an example? Yeah, sure. Um, so I've noticed, and I, I, again, I, I'm not trying to pick on infinite flight. I love it to death. Oh no. no, so, no I'm sure, um, I'm sure this is the part Matt looks forward to the most. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I've, I've noticed, so when you fly, let's just say a, uh, an ILS approach, the ILS keeps you in the boundaries of the airspace that prevents you from 
you know, flying out of, let's say, a Class B airspace. So a Class B airspace has multiple levels, and I've noticed it does have it on infinite flight, but um, the space isn't wide enough, if you will, the, 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 circum- the diameter of it. And like when you, when you intercept the ILS, you mean? Uh, like when you intercept the ILS and when you're flying the ILS down, you're actually leaving the Class B airspace or the or the Class C airspace. Oh, I see. Okay. And now you're in an airspace where you could collide with a, an airplane flying VFR because it's underneath that shelf. The VFR traffic could be underneath that shelf, but uh, you're you're okay. you're on an instrument approach, and it should keep you inside of the airspace at, at all times. That should be a safe path for you to correct. Land. So if I'm flying VFR and I'm staying underneath, I'm just going to say Class B airspace. Yeah, if I fly <laughs> where the glide slope's at, I mean, I could interfere um, with that plane that's landing, even though I'm not breaking a, uh, I'm not breaking a, a violation, or excuse me, I'm not violating the airspace. I think it could cause a problem. But that's, that's one, especially when uh, controlling, you know, <sighs> planes that are coming into the to an airport in the states and other countries they uh, change the shape of the airspace to fit more planes into that airport's airspace and they either make it wider or they draw a corridor to let planes come in to stay in the confined area of the airspace mm, so um, okay all plan all airports are different that's why I'm, I'm sure they probably use a standard airspace draw, draw and layout and altitude wise. But for places like Los Angeles or Singapore or Sydney, I think it should be drawn out a little bit uh, uh, better. Okay, uh, yeah, that'd be if, if even if the functionality was built in, and then and then uh, you know a team of airport editors who knew what they were doing could go in and put in that data. That would be really cool. That would be really cool. That would be really cool. And so. Uh, I think it would cause it would relieve some of the headaches that some controllers have when they see a VFR airplane flying underneath the airspace. You know, I, sometimes I so want to tell that person to give to contact me, but he doesn't have to. <laughs> right. Right. So um, that's it. Well, and I think I think a lot of us, including myself, um, who don't understand airspace as well as you and, and other pilots do, mm-hmm. um, we look at it very one dimensionally. So I right. see a circle. Uh, or a couple circles, and that's my airspace, mm-hmm. right? I'm not thinking um, vertical. Correct. So, yeah. So I, I mean, I, I understand that if, yeah, if, sure. If you're if you're transitioning at ten thousand feet, you're not in my airspace. Um, but for but, aircraft below that, I've never even right. thought about that. That's right. That's right. So, just because I know I'm not the only uh, commercial or pilot on infinite flight or whatnot, and so. Uh, uh, I'm sure there are others who have, or I know that there are others that have mentioned that to me. So mm-hmm. uh, that's something yeah. I would just maybe look into. But the, no, those, those would be things I think that would relieve a lot of the headaches sometimes, or s- that some people may experience when flying on the okay. uh, ATC server and vi- v- vice versa, or controlling on the ATC server also. Okay. All right. Well, um, I think that's going to be it, Jared. What do you, do you have anything else you want to add before uh, or let our listeners listeners know about? No, yeah. So just to the listeners, I appreciate everyone that flies on the Infinite Flight server. Thank you. And um, 
Also, thank you uh, to yourself, Jason, for doing this podcast. I think it's, it's a great opportunity for others to learn and to gain more knowledge about aviation because there's so much there. I'm still learning myself. And so hopefully what you're doing will just spark that interest in someone to learn more about aviation and get involved into it. If you're just an enthusiast or you want to do it for a career. But I just want to thank everyone for that flies on, on the server. We're all doing a great, great job. So Cool. Well, thanks to you for um, your work on the uh, – air traffic side on the advanced server and thank you for uh you know spending some of your downtime when you're on the road with us it was my pleasure well thanks for listening if you haven't already head over to the app store or google play and download infinite flight for more flightcast visit flightcast.audio we would also love it if you would subscribe to the podcast and review it on itunes you can find us on facebook at facebook.com slash flightcast audio and on twitter at flightcast audio if you have any ideas for Flightcast, please leave them in the comments. Flightcast is brought to you by Linkhouse Media on the web at linkhousemedia.com. Podcasting takes time and money, so if you have a few extra bucks, we'd love it if you would consider donating to help keep us going strong. To donate, visit flightcast.audio and click on the yellow PayPal button in the sidebar. To cover the fine print, Flightcast is not affiliated with Infinite Flight or Flying Development Studio. I'm Jason Rosewell. Thanks for listening, and happy landings.